Peace be with you. Also you. What a beautiful a song we just concluded with, uh, reminding us of that great gospel story. And we all here love good stories, right? Who here loves a good story? Anybody? All right. And I kind of got up earlier than I wanted to this morning, but yes, me. All right. Yeah, good stories are, are important. Here's a, a great quote about the power and the importance of stories. The story from Rumpelstiltskin to War and Peace is one of the basic tools invented by the human mind for the purpose of understanding. There have been great societies that did not use the wheel, but there have been no societies that did not tell stories. We all love stories. Stories are, are beautiful. They uh, are a window to the soul. They're multifaceted. They're uh, complex. They share brokenness, but they also share beauty. But it's really hard to summarize a story in one sentence. And when you try to make something that's complex and beautiful into just one sentence, it, it loses punch. It loses its, its fervor. Uh, so this week, I, I researched kind of summaries of great movies in one sentence. And it's pretty hilarious what, what I found. Here's one uh, way to summarize the, the movie The Matrix. All right. I love The Matrix. A depressed office worker joins a cult and destabilizes the government. All right. And if you're a Disney fan, we've got one for you. After the death of her parents, a young socialite causes millions in property damage. <laughs> like more like billions, right? All right. One more from the Titanic. A young man sacrifices his life for a cruise ship flame. Yeah. It's hard to summarize a great story with just one sentence. But if I had to summarize chapters 21 through 23 in the book of Acts, it would be God miraculously saves Paul from a raging group who is rioting. And that's what we're going to see in chapter 21 through 23 of the book of Acts, that God is going to miraculously save Paul from a raging, rioting group. And we're going to learn today just the power of story. Paul is going to be placed before these people who are trying to kill him. And the entire time, I imagine that all he's thinking is, if I could just, if I could just get in front of them, if, if I could just tell the story of how I came to Christ and what Christ has done in my life, it can make a difference to one person. And so today, I just want to encourage you through, through this sermon to take courage and tell your story. God receives glory when you tell your story. Thank you, your feet, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. Listen to the, the word of the Lord. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. And Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priests and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus, and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. 
I fell to the ground and heard the voice, a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, said the Lord, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand to Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear his words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what you are waiting, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and to beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So last week, we ended in Acts chapter 20. Uh, Pastor Jonah did a, a, a great job in just uh, reminding us of the importance of friendship on mission and how Paul, when he was leaving Ephesus, uh, talked to uh, the uh, elders at Ephesus uh, before departing, how emotional uh, that was, how big of a scene that was. Well, that was the case really where, wherever Paul went. Whenever Paul uh, went uh, and stayed a significant amount of time with, with people in a city, uh, it was really hard for him to leave. And I believe that this is the case because Paul lived with a clear conscience and he was full of faith and he received brothers and sisters in Christ with, with genuine love. So in Acts chapter 21, 3 through 5, we, we read, uh, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them for seven days. And through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. So we see that the Apostle Paul is getting ready to leave. He's, he set his mind on Jerusalem. He believes the Spirit is leading him to Jerusalem. And he has to say some more goodbyes. And I love this picture that women and children, along with the rest of the disciples, accompanied them outside of the city at a beach, and they knelt down over Paul, and they wept, and they prayed. Uh, Paul's affection was for the, for the church, and it's easy for us uh, to say hello to people and to get to know people. That's the fun part. But having to say goodbye or see you later is hard. And at the end of the sermon, we're going to say uh, see you later to some uh, families and to Rebecca uh, who are, are going on the mission field. And those are tough. So why is Paul saying goodbye? Paul is saying goodbye because he has set his eyes on Jerusalem. He has set his eyes on Jerusalem. 
And in Acts chapter 21, we see that Paul is getting ready to go back to Jerusalem. And there's a prophet by the name of Agabus who has come. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Agabus and he gives Paul a word from the Lord. Verse 11 it says, coming over to us, speaking of Agabus, he took Paul's belt. He tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So though Paul's heart is set on going back to Jerusalem, there's this prophet who's come to tell Paul that going back to Jerusalem will cause you to suffer. In fact, he says, Paul, let me see your belt. And Paul probably takes off his belt like, man, what's, what's happening? What's going on? And he takes Paul's belt and he wraps his belt around his feet and around his hands to give him a, a visual. He says, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, this is going to happen to you. Oh, that's huge. That's a lot. I love how Paul responds. It's an amazing response, a courageous response. He says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? So he looks at this room. He says, why, why are y'all crying? Why are y'all making this harder than it already is? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of our Lord Jesus. See, Paul believes the Lord is calling him back to Jerusalem to preach to his, his, his kinfolk and to preach to Gentiles about the great salvation of God. And he says, you all are weeping, you all are crying, but I believe this is God's will and I'm ready to die for it. This is an eerie resemblance to Jesus in the Gospels. We see Jesus sets his mind back on Jerusalem and he knows that he's going to Jerusalem. And when he goes to Jerusalem, that he's going to die in the same way. Paul has set his mind on the mission of God and he has come to grips with the fact that this may mean his death. This may mean that he loses his life. Later on, he says that this may the Lord's will be done, just like Jesus in Gethsemane. But how and why is Paul so eager to go back to Jerusalem? Like, what is it about Jerusalem? What does he feel that he has a, a, a mandate or call to do? Well, in chapter 20, verse 22 through 24, just before Paul leaves Ephesus, he says this to his elders. And now, compelled by the Spirit. So there's, there's a compulsion that is coming to Paul to, to go, to go to Jerusalem. Even though the Holy Spirit also warns him of what's going to happen, he's compelled to go. Why? And I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me, listen to this, that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And what's the task that Jesus has given you, Paul? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So when I look at Acts 21 through 23, I can't ignore this. I believe what the Holy Spirit is, is showing us through Luke is the power of story, the power of testimony. That Paul has his mind set on Jerusalem and Paul knows that God has given me a testimony that Christ has come into my life and he has done this so that I would share his goodness to others. That I would testify of his grace. Paul is convinced that his life is has been set aside by God so that he would be a witness for him. 
And here's the truth. All of us, if we are saved, if we are in Christ, Christ has saved us and set us apart so that we would testify to the grace of God. Acts 1.8, the Bible tells us that we are now, he tells, Jesus tells his disciples that we are now witnesses in the same way. If you are in the faith, you are a witness. A witness is an eyewitness, one who has experienced or seen something and now who has the, the call to testify about it. Here, we know in a judicial sense, a, a witness is, is called to take the stand, to tell what they've seen, to tell about what they know in the same way we've been called to take the stand. The question is, are we? So Paul is going to take the stand, stand here to testify about God's goodness in his life. You know, and it's in the midst of a crazy scene. So Paul goes back to Jerusalem, chapter 21 says, and he He's trying to be respectful. He's like, I'm just going to go and do my thing. The disciples say, man, people want to kill you here because you have led thousands of Jews to Christ. Everybody knows your name. They're looking for you. Uh, Jews are upset. They want you dead. They say, why don't you go and purify yourself? Go through uh, the Jewish ritual of cleansing uh, so that at least that won't be a stumbling block to people. So Paul does that. And he's hanging out with four other guys who's going through the process as well. These are disciples of Christ as well that Paul has probably converted or, or has been converted as a result of his ministry. And someone sees Paul and hears that he's there and they start a riot. They gather people together. They gather the religious leaders, say, Paul is here. Let's get him. And so there is this scene in verses 27 through 32 of chapter 21 where Paul is being dragged and beaten and people are yelling, kill him, kill him, kill him. Get him, get him. And it's just this, this picture of just this angry mob wanting to kill Paul. And the whole time, or at least for part of the time, I just envisioned Paul probably afraid, probably weak, probably taking some blows, thinking this might be it. This might be the last scene of my life. But you know what he does? He convinces the commander of the Roman centurion guard to let him speak. In his mind, he's thinking, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God until salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So in his weakness, in his fear, in his trembling, he's saying, if you just give me an opportunity to tell the story, God can do something amazing in this crowd's heart or at least in one person's heart. So while he's facing death, he's like, just give me a chance to tell the story. Let me tell you about how I came to know Jesus. Let me tell you about my life before Jesus. Let me tell you about what life has been like since meeting Jesus. That's all a testimony is. Is this is what I was before Jesus. This is how Jesus saved me. And this is how life with Christ has been since he saved me. And that's what we see Paul doing here in Acts chapter 22. He's just going to tell, tell this story. He starts off in verse 1, brothers and sisters, listen now to my defense. He speaks in Aramaic in order to get everyone's attention. And when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became, a very, became very quiet. They're like, wow, he actually is speaking our language. And Paul said to them, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of uh, Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel, 
and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So the first thing Paul says is like, listen, here is where I was before I met Christ. He says, I was just like you. And why is Paul sharing this? He's sharing this to identify with them, to remind them that he was, he's one, he was one of them. And not only was he one of them, but he led their Jewish movement there in Jerusalem. This is powerful to remember. Sometimes when we share our testimony and we talk about where we were before Christ, we make it harder than it is. We try to convince people that we were cool, you know? Like, we try to convince people that we, we had it going on, like we were rock stars. I was cool before I met Jesus, right? I'm not cool now, but I used to be cool. I used to do what you did. I used to be right where you are. That's not the point of sharing your story. The point of sharing your story prayerfully is to connect with them and to be able to say, hey, I once was lost. I once was in darkness. Paul is saying, I once was really religious. And there's a difference between religion and, and relationship with Jesus. And that's what he moves to in verses 6 through 16. He talks about how he came to Christ. In 6 through 16, he tells the story about being on a road to Damascus on his way to persecute Christians. When the text talks about the way, it's talking about Christianity. That was a nickname for Christianity because Jesus is the way, the way to true life, the way uh, to true humanity, the way to peace. And he says, I was persecuting the way when I, I got knocked off my, my high horse and I heard the voice of the Lord. And he asked me, why are you persecuting me? And, and Paul begins to tell the crowd this story about how he came to Jesus and how he lost sight. And then how Jesus led a, a man by the name of Ananias to him and how Ananias preached the good news to him and how he became a believer and was baptized. Paul shares, this is how I came to Jesus. This is important for us to remember that Jesus came and got us. We, in essence, didn't bring ourselves to Jesus. The picture of Paul's salvation is a picture of all of our salvation. Have you ever thought, why is it that I'm a Christian and not one of my siblings? Why is it that I'm a Christian and not one of my, my friends? I think back to growing up. Uh, in Chicago, in the Chicagoland area, I think about my friends and how many of them are lost. Like, why, why am I saved and not them? Is it because I'm smarter? Is it because I actually read the Bible and understood it? Um, is it because I was just born with so much wisdom? No. The Bible says that no one can come to the Father but through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to soften our hearts and bring us to an end of ourselves. See, encountering grace is coming to an end of ourselves. It's coming to a place where we understand who we are, that we are sinners, totally depraved, <laughs> that every part of us have been affected by, uh, by the fall. There's this noetic effect that as a result, our emotions, our intellect, uh, the way we reason is all affected by sin. And that the only way that we come to Christ is by Christ breaking through all of that and giving us a new heart and new desires to love him and to know him. Some of you aren't Christians today is because you haven't yet come to an end of yourself. You haven't yet come to a place where you understand 
who you are. When Paul came to Christ, he understood. He said, wait a minute. He told Timothy, I am the chief of all sinners. I'm the biggest sinner in the room. You may say, no, Paul, you're an apostle. You're great. Paul's saying, no, I know me. I know my thoughts. I know my struggles. It is I who have sinned. I'm the one who crucified my Lord. Jesus tells us that in order to, to come to Christ, when the Lord draws us to himself, that it's a death. John 12, 24, verily, verily, Jesus said, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. In order for us to be fruitful in this life, we have to die first to ourselves. We have to come to an end of ourselves. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, it could be because you're just religious come to church religiously every Sunday. You may even read your Bible every Sunday, but you don't have a relationship with God. So religion says that I can, I can be made right with God by being a good person. I can be made right by God by, by doing this list of things. I can be made right by God by if I do this. That's religion. Relationship says, uh, Jesus says, no, you can never be right with my father by what you do. You only can be right by my father by you accepting this free gift of salvation by you accepting me and what I have already done for you. Maybe you're irreligious. And I want to tell you, if you're irreligious and you're here today, then nothing in your life, nothing that you do will work or will ultimately matter. There's a God in this universe who gets to judge whose life has been used in a way that matters. And he says, only those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ has lived a life worth living. I want to encourage you to run to Jesus as a child runs to a, their nursing mother, to run to him, to depend on him, to say, Jesus, you are Lord. I am at the end of myself. And we can't muster up enough strength to do that. So cry out to him, beg him, help me to come to an end of myself. Jesus said those who are poor in spirit are those who will be in the kingdom of heaven. Not those who are rich in spirit, who are rich in themselves, but who are poor in spirit. And that's what Paul is sharing, that it's by God's grace that he has come to faith. Charles Spurgeon writes, we believe that the work of regeneration, conversion, sanctification and faith is not an act of man's free will and power, but of the mighty, uh, effectuous and irresistible grace of God. Free grace can go into the gutter and bring up a jewel. And that's what Paul is telling this crowd, He's saying grace came into the gutter and it got me. There's another part of, of Paul's story that he wanted people to know. And it was the the fact that, that after Christ, Paul's life, it changed. See, we come to Christ not to get a get-out-of-hell-free card. We come to Christ because Christ transforms, because he gives us a new heart. We, 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 we're Christians not because we're simply just uh, living this life uh, hoping to, to, uh, to, to live it as, as painless as possible and then to die and go to heaven and escape hell. No, we are Christians proudly and, and we, 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 we follow Jesus with enthusiasm because we know that he is in the business of transforming, of taking things that are old and that are dead and that are broken and bring, bringing beauty out of it. So Paul's beginning to share about this beauty that God has, is bringing out of his life. And he begins by sharing like, hey, when I became a Christian, I had to flee Jerusalem. I had to run 
Verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. He said, I was in the temple, I was praying, fell into a trance. That might be cold work, like I fell asleep or something, I don't know. Um, and Jesus came to him and said, quick, right? He woke up from his sleep, like, okay, what's going on, Lord? Leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. He said, no, you're going to have to leave Jerusalem. People aren't going to accept this. People aren't going to accept this. Jews aren't going to accept this because you hurt many of them. You, you put some of their family members to death. Non-Jews aren't going to accept this. Get out of here. And then he continues to talk about his road to come into Christ. Verse 21, then the Lord said to me, go and I will send you far away from the Gentiles. And I believe Paul was about to then begin to tell the story about how he went from city to city and place to place. And as a result, Gentiles came to faith. But he got interrupted. Verse 22 says, as the crowd yelled, rid the earth of him, he is not fit to live. When they heard that Paul's mission was to take this good news, to tell Gentiles about this Jewish Messiah, they said, no, that's enough, brother. Kill him. Off with his head. Because they did not want to see this inclusive message of the Messiah taken to the Gentile world. That's what our testimony is. This is who I was before Jesus found me. This is how Jesus found me. This is what life has been like after Jesus has found me. And God is calling each of us in this room to embrace that story and to share it with others for his glory. Story is powerful. In all of his complexity, it's powerful. In all of his brokenness, it's powerful. God has created the genre of narrative to impact people's hearts. That's why 40% of the Bible is expressed through narrative. It's the most popular way to communicate in Scripture. That's why most of Jesus's, the, the main way that Jesus communicated was through story. There once was a man. The kingdom of God is like, because it draws us in. It softens our hearts. We can see ourselves in another person's shoes. So what are you doing with your story? Are you owning your story? Are you owning the story the Lord has given you? And typically, there's two reasons why I see people not owning their testimony story. The first is that for some of us, we believe the lie that our story isn't interesting enough. My story is boring. I came to faith when I was eight years old. Nobody wants to hear about that. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as a boring story. There is no such thing as an undramatic conversion. Conversion is miraculous. If you came to faith at eight, it was a miracle. It was dramatic. It was more dramatic than the most dramatic uh, 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 U.S. SEAL rescue story. <laughs> the Bible says you were dead and God made you alive. The Bible says that we were all following Satan's ways, the ways of this world. But God gave us a new heart for his son, Jesus Christ. That is dramatic. And if God saved you at the age of eight, he saved you from a lot. That means by the age of eight, he had already delivered you from adultery, from sex out of marriage, from, por for from pornography, from whatever it is you think is a dramatic conversion service. If he saved you by the age of eight, he saved you from all of that, too, and many more sins. Well, you, you don't understand. I don't tell my story because my story is too shameful to tell. 
I've, people knew the real me, what I did and what I thought at my lowest point. Whoo, y'all wouldn't let me in sojourn. Y'all, I have to wear construction hats on Sunday for fear that God would strike this place with lightning and the walls would cave in. Well, little known fact, about a week ago, the, the, the building was actually struck with lightning, but it's still standing. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Cost us a couple of thousand to, fi- uh, to fix a heating unit, but uh, we're all good now. But that wasn't a result of you coming to Sojourn, I, I, I guarantee you, all right? <laughs> all right? There's no shame in your story. Did you hear Paul's story? Paul is admitting to these Jews as well as to the disciples that he was responsible. He was responsible for the death of some of some other Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters. He was responsible of causing pain in the Christian community. He was responsible for that. He was responsible for living a life of of hypocrisy, he says. But he's able to own his story. And why is he able to own his story? Because he has received the good news of Jesus Christ, which tells us our life is not based upon what we have done. That Jesus has forgiven us of our very worst sins. That there is no longer alienation between us and God. That the person who matters most says that you are accepted and you are beloved. And he has thrown your sins away in a sea of forgetfulness. And he says, you are mine and I am yours. There's no shame in your story. Own your story. All of, this, all of the detours, own it. All of the confusion that you're still not sure what God was doing and, and what's reality and what's not, own it. All of the broken psychologically, physiologically, own it. The depression, own it. The mess, own it. The evil things you've done, own it. Why? Because you are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. And even if you did something yesterday that was detectable, because of Jesus Christ, you can own it. Because your identity is not in you, it's in Christ. Own your story. Second, share your story with wisdom. This is fascinating. Right before Paul gives his testimony, um, he behaves in a very, very shrewd way. Well, you say, that's a bad thing, right? Well, no, Jesus tells us to be shrewd. He tells us to be wise. Matthew 10, 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. It's not very many Sundays that you're going to come into a church and hear a pastor say, be shrewd. But be shrewd. God is calling you to be wise. Even with your testimony. There's areas of your testimony that for some audiences work well. Then for other audiences, you you may not want to share. (laughs) Talking to a 10-year-old, you may want to leave out some stuff you did in college, all right? Need to be shrewd. That's what Paul is going to do here. This commander is going to come to Paul, and he comes to Paul. (laughs) Sorry, just thinking about, yeah, anyway. Uh, He comes to Paul. (laughs) This image of someone overwhelming a 10-year-old trying to lead him to Christ. This commander comes to Paul and says, hey, Paul, aren't? Aren't you this Egyptian that led uh, 4,000 people into the wilderness? In other words, aren't you this Greek cult leader? Now, Paul speaks Greek. He says, do you speak Greek? But Paul doesn't address that. He says, I am a Jew from Tarsus, right? And why does he do that? He says, if I make this detour and start talking about me being a Roman citizen and all this other stuff, you may not let me 
before this crowd speak freely. But what he's doing is he's leaning into a part of his story. He's owning a part of his story so that he can have an opportunity to share the gospel. We see him doing the same thing in chapter 23 as he's before the Sanhedrin, which is the religious leader of leaders of Jerusalem. Uh, the Pharisees believed in a bodily resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in bodily resurrection. That's what I call the Sadducees. Sad, you see. <laughs> All right. So Paul stands before them and shares. Uh, he starts his, his story off with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which then causes them to go against each other. And to the Pharisees, it opens up their hearts where they're like, you know what, Paul? Take your time. Tell us what you believe. Paul's like, thank you. I will, right? But he's shrewd. And we also, we, we must be shrewd. We must be wise when telling the story, not to overwhelm people, but sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Wendell Berry in Jaber Crote says this. Jaber says this. Telling a story is like reaching into a granary full of wheat and drawing out a handful. There's always more to tell than can be told. Kind of like a sermon, isn't it? Always more to say. Okay, let me stop. Moving on. Third. We want to take courage, take courage. The Apostle Paul is going to be confronted with Jesus in verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. Now, Paul has just been beaten. He's probably discouraged. He's probably thinking back to Agabus and his illustration, he's probably confused, like, Lord, did you really call me here to testify and to take this type of beating and to face this type of humiliation? And Jesus himself appears to Paul and says, Paul, take courage. Four times in the Gospels does Jesus say, take courage or take heart. Every single time, it was when the disciples or someone he's engaging is in an absolute depleted situation. Once it was when they were on a sea and, uh, and a, wind, a windstorm came, and they thought they were going to die. But here's another time. Another time is when Jesus comes to a paralytic, Matthew 9 and 2. He says, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, take courage. And that's what the Lord is telling each of us here today. Share your story for my glory. In order to do that, it requires courage. It requires courage. Courage is Holy Spirit-led risk-taking. It's putting yourself out there. It's being vulnerable. I believe that's why Paul was able to connect with so many people is because he had come to an end of himself. It no longer was about him. He was willing to be vulnerable, willing to let people in in order to impact them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for some of us, sharing our story is the hardest thing in the world because we don't want to be vulnerable. And the way we have courage is not by mustering up enough strength or not by giving us a, ourselves a, a self-help talk before sharing our faith or a tattoo that's going to remind us to take courage. It's by dying to the ground daily. It's, it's by dying daily, like the seed that falls to the ground. It's by daily coming to the Lord with meekness and weakness and trembling. Every morning saying, Lord, here am I. Use me. Embolden me. Throughout the epistles, we see Paul constantly praying, constantly praying and asking the church to pray that he would be a bold Take courage. 
we're getting ready to send some missionaries out to really difficult places to do ministry. And that's our message to the congregation as we send them today, is take courage. Finally, there's some people here today who um, who've never been baptized. Um, if you are a person who has come to faith, but you've never experienced baptism, I want to encourage you to experience baptism. On one, because it's a command, and it's the uh, first command that a Christian ought to obey. Baptism is a public display of an inward transformation. It's us coming out and telling the world that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died in our place. Perhaps you're from a religious tradition in which you were baptized as an infant or a child, and you think that somehow by practicing believer's baptism uh, that you are are disrespecting your your heritage or your family. I just want to encourage you, that's not the truth. Uh, The Bible tells us that baptism is a way to proclaim what Christ has done in your heart, and I want to encourage you to do so. Um, If you're you're here today as a believer, and perhaps you was baptized as a child, but you weren't truly a believer, and you want to to, to declare to the world that sometime later you came to faith, we would love to, to baptize you as well. But you only need to be baptized one time. In the back, we have a sign up sheet. For those who would like to be baptized in a few weeks, we are having a baptism service. Um, Already we have had five people come forth saying that I want to be baptized. I want to go public with my faith. I want to share my testimony. And that's an easy way for you to think through your testimony. Everyone who's baptized, we sit down with and we go through their story and we break it up pretty much into three parts. Who were you before Christ found you? Where were you? How did Christ find you? How did you come to Christ? And what has life been like without Christ? That's a powerful way for you to tell the world what Christ has done. But I also want to encourage every single person in here to take time this weekend to process it, your story under those three ways, if you have never done it before. And perhaps to practice telling your story about where you were before you came to Christ, how you came to Christ, and what's life been like for you after Christ. So to craft that in, in, about, uh, in three minutes, in a way that in which you can share your story in three minutes. God gives us opportunities every day to share our stories with people, just about. If we would stop, be curious about people, and get to know them, we'll have many opportunities to to let them know who Jesus is and what he means to us. But we've got to be ready, just like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul believed in the power of storying so much that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as he was teaching the, the Christians there in Corinth about Uh, how to approach the Lord's table, how to take communion, he began to tell a story. He says, it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, Jesus took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you, for you. As often as you eat of this bread, and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's coming, the Lord's death until he returns. Every Sunday when we take communion, we are rehashing a story. We are remembering a story and we are preaching a story. We are remembering what Christ has done for us and we are preaching to the watching world who Christ is and what he means to us. And here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice, the wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, we're going to ask you not to partake in this meal, but rather we want you to take Christ 
I want you to reflect on the story that you just heard. He wants you to run to him and to trust him. Perhaps you can spend this, this uh, next couple minutes just praying to God to reveal himself to you through the person of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, let's take this meal and let's remember that the Lord is good and he tells us to taste and to see that he's good. And as you take this bread, to remember that Jesus Christ is real and that he loves you and that he's coming back for you. Let's pray.